Hello and welcome back to the Oregon Climate Action podcast series. This series is focused on the Oregon Department of Environmental Quality's Climate Protection Program, how you can get involved in ways to take climate action now. This is the third and final podcast in the series. In our first podcast, we heard from Aaron Saylor with Columbia Riverkeeper and Molly Tack Hooper with Earth Justice. They told us a little bit about who ODEC is, what they do, and they gave us the deets on the Climate Protection Program. In the second podcast, we got to talk with Priya Judge from the Power Past Fracked Gas Coalition about how to tell our story through public comment. This is Haley K. Scott, and I'm the Climate Justice Grassroots Organizer with Beyond Toxics and the NAACP Eugene Springfield. Today, I will be talking to Allie Rosenbluth from Rogue Climate to get their perspective on the rules and learn a little bit more about their efforts to help support folks in submitting public comment. Allie, would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, thank you so much for having me on today, Haley. I'm really excited to talk with you about DEQ's Draft Climate Protection Program. And yeah, a little bit about myself. I am the campaigns director at Rogue Climate. Um, I use she and they pronouns. I currently reside on occupied Takelma, Shasta, and Cow Creek Umqua lands in so-called Southern Oregon. And Rogue Climate is a grassroots climate justice organization that has offices in uh, Phoenix, Oregon, and Coos Bay, Oregon. We are supporting our communities to take action on climate in a way that brings forward an equitable uh, energy system and prioritizes the voices and the leadership of communities who are most impacted by climate change. So some of our work includes stopping the Jordan Cove LNG export terminal, working uh, to pass the 100% clean energy for all bill and other energy justice bills in the Oregon legislature last session. Also recently, we've been responding to a disaster that happened in our community about a year ago. Um, The Almeda fire burned hundreds of homes actually thousands of homes in our community and uh, also our office. And so we have been providing mutual aid for folks who have been directly impacted by climate change in our communities uh, for the last year. We also run youth training programs and have a youth climate action team that supports the work and leads their own efforts as well. So we're doing a lot, you know, this year um, I've been involved in the climate protection program, uh, actually with you, Haley, on the DEQ's rulemaking advisory committee. Um, So we got to sit at the table to tell DEQ how these rules should move forward. And unfortunately, I don't think that they have, DEQ has necessarily developed the rules in a way that I think is best for Oregon and for communities who are living on the front lines of climate change and toxic pollution. But it was definitely an experience to sit on that table um, with a lot of different interests. Perfect. Thank you so much, Allie. We're so excited to have you with us today to talk about the draft rules. I think you have a wealth of knowledge and experience about the process. And I'll have to agree that sitting on that rulemaking advisory committee was very interesting. I definitely feel that DEQ has fallen short in meeting one of their big goals of prioritizing equity and reducing burdens on environmental justice and frontline communities. That's why I'm really excited that you're you're here today with us to talk about uh, the draft rules and a little bit more context. 
And so I have a couple of questions that I'm hoping to ask you. And the first one is, is, is there anything specific that you would like to highlight about the draft climate protection program rules that our listeners might not have heard about yet? So when we talked with Aaron and Molly, we heard a little bit about who ODEC is. I think we kind of understand that they're a regulatory agency and their job is to protect Oregonians and our environment, air and water. And they also help define a few key terms, but I would like to hear from you if there's anything else. Yeah. So I think first of all, when DEQ started this process, which was prompted by Governor Kate Brown's climate executive order, um, they were tasked with creating a economy-wide cap and reduce program to reduce greenhouse gas emissions in Oregon by 80% of our 1990 levels by 2050. I think what's really important to understand about the draft rules that DEQ is presenting for public comment right now is that it doesn't meet that goal. And it exempts a huge swath of greenhouse gas pollution for really silly reasons. Um, Additionally, I don't think that these rules reach the equity goal that DEQ has said they are prioritizing in this program. So basically, it's hard to imagine that this program will have the impact that we need right now for climate action. As your listeners know, we are feeling the impacts of climate change every day, and those impacts are disproportionately burdened on Indigenous, Black, low-income, rural, and other communities of color. And we need to take action now to reduce the worst-case scenario option. And this program does just not meet the bar. Thank you, Allie. You mentioned something about the disproportionate impacts on Black, Indigenous, people of color, our rural communities, our low-income communities. How do you think the Climate Protection Program draft rules might impact Southern Oregonians? I understand you are in Southern Oregon, so I would love to hear from you about that piece. Yeah, that's a great question. So folks across Oregon and in Southern Oregon, additionally, are already experiencing the impacts of harmful pollution. So not just the impacts of climate change, but the impacts of having unregulated facilities polluting air toxins that cause cancer, that cause asthma, um, that just decrease the quality of life. And DEQ's climate protection program was supposed to tackle um, not just reducing these greenhouse gas emissions, but also the co-pollutants that we know are harming communities at these facilities. So when we think about the Klamath Cogeneration Station, for instance, so that's a natural gas power plant in Klamath County, there are swaths of harmful air toxins that are polluted from that facility every day. And currently DEQ's program exempts that entire facility. So communities will not receive the benefits of real reductions of greenhouse gas combustion in their communities because this program prioritizes flexibility for corporations instead of actually reducing pollution in communities. And so we are, in our public comments, really pushing DEQ to revise this program to get rid of the exemptions that allow these polluters to continue polluting in our communities without any accountability and revise it to ensure that we're seeing real reductions of 
greenhouse gas emissions and their harmful co-pollutants in communities. So I, th I think that that's really important. And then I think another piece which um, feels really resonant for folks in Southern Oregon is that this program would also exempt Jordan Cove LNG if it was ever built. So right now, Jordan Cove, um, which is a proposed frack gas export terminal and pipeline in Southern Oregon, is not able to move forward because communities across Southern Oregon have come together to oppose it. But if it was built, it would be the largest stationary source of climate pollution in the state of Oregon. And under this program, it would again go completely unregulated. So this program isn't meeting its goals to reduce emissions, and it's also not meeting its goals to actually benefit communities by decreasing the amount of harmful pollution that they're experiencing every day. Dang, thank you for giving us some local examples. It's really hard to try and put these rules that are written down on a piece of paper right into context. So what does it mean when we say the CPP rules? How does it impact us here on the ground in our communities? And so thank you for just providing even those those two examples about the climate cogeneration facility and then the Jordan Cove LNG pipeline. I'm just wondering if you could expand a little bit more about some of the efforts that Rogue Climate has been leading to get folks mobilized around the Climate Protection Program rulemaking. Yeah, so we've been working with a bunch of partners, including Beyond Toxics, the Power Pass Frack Gas Coalition, Verde, and more to help folks in Oregon understand why this program is important and why it's so important for Oregon to get it right. So we have done a few educational webinars, including uh, last week we did a panel on environmental justice and this program and why this program doesn't meet the bar for environmental justice issues, um, which I think was really informative and is actually online on the Oregon Physicians for Social Responsibilities YouTube page if folks want to check it out. And then, you know, had spaces virtually, of course, because we're still in a pandemic um, during those webinars where folks could be in uh, breakout groups with other people in their communities to talk about what they wanted to say in their comments and what issues were coming up for them, um, which I think actually delivered a lot of great results because people could sit down with folks um, who are impacted by the same facilities um, that maybe aren't regulated by this program and talk about how that impacts them and put that into their comments. So we have been, you know, supporting folks with comment writing, um, with developing their testimony for the public hearings that DEQ and the Environmental Quality Commission are hosting, um, and just really making sure that DEQ understands that this program doesn't meet the bar for climate action in 2021 and that they need to step it up. And they need to step it up, uh, not just to actually reach the emissions reductions that are mandated by Governor Kate Brown's executive order, but they need to step it up to uh, reach science-based climate targets. And they also need to step it up to ensure that communities who are already burdened by toxic co-pollutants at these facilities really do see the emissions reductions and the impacts of their quality of life by requiring real emissions reductions at these facilities and at these fuel suppliers. So we're actually just a 
stay away from the last public comment hearing, which the Environmental Quality Commission is posting on Thursday, uh, September 30th. I think it's really important that a lot of folks turn out to that to tell DEQ to make this program stronger because we are you know, still hearing from fossil fuel interests and other industry interests that they want to see this program weakened even more. So it's really important that we show up and that we demand what our communities need, which is real climate action and real reduction of pollutants in our communities. I just wanted to talk a little bit about my experience in watching people give public testimony at the last or the first DEQ public hearing. It was very moving. I ha- I saw people on there that I hadn't ever saw before. I've noticed just in my work as a climate justice grassroots organizer that it's usually the same same set of people who are providing public testimony at these types of hearings. And that's not a bad thing, but it was it was really amazing to see people from different backgrounds including parents, including people who don't normally, you know, participate in these types of processes and actually voice that. I I was moved to tears because people were crying, submitting public testimony. And I just, I've never experienced something like that. And I'll just say, you know, I really think that these workshops that have been held uh, with some of our partners, so including Rogue Climate, including Beyond Toxics, Columbia River Keeper, and so on and so forth, has just, it's been really impactful. And it's showed me that different partnerships are really important to making sure that this work happens and important that we provide the resources to our community members just to make these processes more accessible because it just doesn't seem that they are. And I think that's a big reason why this program, this climate protection program and their draft rules are missing the mark. And so I just want to say that I really appreciate it. And, you know, I'm excited to see how this could potentially set the precedent moving forward in any future rulemaking processes. And so. No, I totally agree, Haley. And I think, you know, what I've learned as an organizer for the last, you know, almost 10 years now is that these processes aren't accessible to the people who are most impacted by the results of these rules. And as much as I would love for DEQ to do a better job at making rules that make sense for communities, because I think the rules that are the most simple um, that make sense to the people who are impacted are the ones that are actually the most impactful and do do reach the goals, right? And when we have these really complicated, convoluted rules, one, it's really hard for folks to understand what their stake is in it. And two, they're normally really complicated and convoluted because it's the agency trying to balance what corporations need um, with what the public need instead of just centering what do the impacted people need to be able to survive and thrive. So I think as organizers, it's really our job to take these rules and these processes and turn them into something that is meaningful for folks um, and that is accessible for folks and help them see their stake in it all. And so I think, you know, we're trying to do that with this program and it's 
you know, extremely complicated. So it's hard to do, but it was really amazing to see the testimony at the last hearing and just see how many folks see their stake in this. And that was really exciting. And there's a lot more work to be done too, especially when it comes to accessibility and state agency hearings. For example, I've been, you know, pushing DEQ to have full Spanish translation and ASL interpretation at their hearings. And, you know, we we're st- I'm still waiting to hear back from DEQ if they will be able to do that, but it's pretty likely that they'll have, you know, the instructions in Spanish, but then won't have uh, an interpreter there to interpret the testimony from community members into Spanish or into ASL, um, which really matters because when you go to a public comment process um, or a hearing, some of the most important pieces that you get from that hearing is actually what your neighbors are saying. And it's actually building off of each other. That's so powerful. And when people who don't speak English or English isn't their first language are at these hearings and there's no interpretation, they don't have the ability to hear what their neighbors are saying. And that is a problem. And that's something that the state of Oregon needs to get better with at DEQ and at other agencies and in the legislature, we need to have more language access in every single level of government in this, in Oregon and across the country, really. But one example, I think, you know, I've learned a lot of this responding to the Alameda fire since the majority of the folks who lost their homes in my community are from the Latinx community. And many of them, English is not their first language. And there was really incredible organizing by a few uh, friends who are from that community where they would go to talent city council meetings and they would only speak in Spanish. They would testify just in Spanish and none of the city councilors or only a few of the city councilors and city staff could really understand them. And that was just really incredible organizing to show that language access matters. And when you can't understand what's happening, you can't really participate. And so the city of talent and now has full interpretation at all of their city council meetings, which is amazing. And I think that the state of Oregon should look at, you know, this small rural community that's going through a horrible tragedy right now and follow their lead and make all hearings accessible to folks of all different backgrounds and languages. Thank you, Allie. No, that's that's really great to hear. And that's just one example that can really make a huge impact. And so I'm really happy to hear that some type of change is happening that is really needed. And so, yeah, I just want to thank you again for talking a little bit about your community, where you're coming from and what's going on. Before we close out, Ali, I'm just wondering if you could tell us what should we expect to happen after the public comment period ends? Yeah, thanks, Haley. That's a great question. So the public comment period is closing on Monday, October 4th at 5 p.m. So if you weren't able to get your comment in before then, um, unfortunately, DEQ will not be accepting them. But if you want to send it anyway, it doesn't hurt, right? (laughs) Um, After the public comment period closes, DEQ will take the thousands of comments that have already been delivered to DEQ and uh, determine what changes need to be made in the climate protection program and represent that to the Environmental Quality Commission 
uh, probably sometime in November. The Environmental Quality Commission, which is the board that is, you know, in charge of DEQ, um, will then vote on whether or not to move forward with the Climate Protection Program um, as drafted, or if they would like to see DEQ uh, revise anything else in the rules. So it's definitely this fight to make the Climate Protection Program something that works for our communities is definitely not over once the public comment period closes next week. Um, there will be opportunities to testify at the Environmental Quality Commission about uh, the rules um, and about the updates. So please stay tuned on the Rogue Climate website and social media pages, and I'm sure on the Beyond Toxics uh, social media and website as well, about how you can help tell the Environmental Quality Commission um, that Oregon deserves really strong climate protection in 2021. Okay, thank you, Allie. That's really helpful to hear about the next steps, what's going to happen with all of this public comment, and what we should stay tuned for. So to close us out, I would like to remind folks that if you want to submit a written comment, you can go to the Oregon Department of Environmental Quality's website, click on regulations, then rulemaking, and then finally land on the Greenhouse Gas Emissions Program 2021 webpage. You can also go to beyondtoxics.org to find some quick tips and tricks on how to submit comment. If you're interested in learning more about what you can do to make a change in your community, you can also go to our website to learn more. And if you're in Southern Oregon, I would check out Rogue Climate's website as well. Let's continue doing this work together so we can protect our communities and climate for generations to come. Thank you so much for listening to the final podcast in our Oregon Climate Action Series.